Welcome to Idle Weekend. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with my co-host Rob Zachney to wind down another week. This weekend, we're talking about games that are way better than they have any right to be, and they came out of absolutely nowhere, and we love them. And Rob, this week, this was inspired entirely by Doom, a game that I had no idea was going to be really, really awesome. <laughs> I think just a couple weeks ago, I was pretty down on the entire concept of the new Doom. Um, at no point did this seem to suggest there was any reason to be optimistic about this game. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I thought the trailers were wildly off-putting. Uh, I just didn't know like what a you know what does what, what does a Doom game even have to offer at this point? What does getting back to basics even mean? Right? Like you know, Doom was such a was a, was such a simple game and such a, uh, a game of its time that I just didn't see how a, a reboot, a, a return to series roots, I didn't see how any of that was going to create something that I was going to be interested in and enjoy. And boy, do I feel <laughs> kind of dumb. <laughs> I mean, speaking of kind of dumb, the game is kind of dumb and embraces it so completely. And yeah, I mean, I, I was in the same boat. I had no idea I was going to like this. I thought like, oh, okay, doom, whatever. I don't even like most first person shooters. Honestly, I'm not good at them. You know, I, I play them and I, you know, I have an okay time most of the time. You know, I play the Call of Duties, I play Halo every now and then, I play whatever is out, because I just, I kind of play a little bit of everything, and I'm, I'm never really all that blown away by them, and I kind of thought Doom would be the same old shit, like, okay, cool, you're, re you're reimagining this 90s game, this very, you know, important 90s game with demons and blood and all this shit, but instead of, of going for, like, a grimdark, you know, the sort of... Arkham kind of approach or the, the very serious kind of uh, Call of Duty approach. This game knows exactly what it wants to be. It knows that it wants to be this ridiculously sort of fast-paced, utterly, absolutely ridiculous game. Like, it, it's full on. I mean, you wake up as a space marine, you are just angry space marine bro, and Right away, there's a computer screen that says demonic invasion in progress and you fight demons in space and it's ridiculous and gory and wonderful and so comfortable in its own skin being what it is that it's that's like a really wonderful and kind of joyful experience. Yeah, I am. Um, it's weird. If you look at this game in terms of the overall aesthetic and... Um, like the way the the Martian facility looks and yeah. everything, it still looks an awful lot like Doom Three. Sure. Uh, it, yeah. Like you're still you're still working for UAC. Uh, <laughs> you look out the window. Um, you know it's still it's still Mars. It's still like an industrial <laughs> version of Mars. Um, and so it's really easy to look at it and think like, okay, so this is like I guess a more violent version of Doom Three. Um, and and the game really quickly disabuses you of that. It wasn't just the um. The display with the with the <laughs> demonic, uh, demonic invasion. invasion in progress. <laughs> um, it's there's these little these, these little panels you can go to that like record the like earlier events in a room or something. And so, like in a lot of games, you see ghostly little figures come out and perform like a little pantomime of something that was going on uh, before it all went pear shaped at this facility. 
And usually, like this, this tends to operate in the um, like System Shock Two vein, right? Where you see like yeah. poignant little moments, ghosts like you know uh, slowly being killed, or people like arguing or or coming to terms with you know the fact they're doomed. Uh, here in this game, the, the first one of those you tap uh, sort of brings to life the the surgical chamber you were in, and it shows the the table, the operating table you woke up on. It shows that except. There's a demonic casket on top of it, <laughs> and there's a bunch of like doctors and scientists around worshiping it, uh, and there's like candles lit all around the uh, around the surgery. And then you open the door, and your 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 armor, the the classic like ar- marine armor in Doom, uh, also is the centerpiece of like a weird altar. Um, and you learn like this is just what this is just how this company rolls. Is yep. it's a it's a it's an energy company. It's kind of like Exxon. It's it's kind of like a fracking company. Uh, except they also know that hell is real, and <laughs> uh, they are prepared to worship it. Yep. It's it's such a bizarre conceit, and so so night and day from the last time we saw the series. Um, I'm the thing that the thing that continually surprises me though is um. How clever it is about taking the okay. Let me, it's difficult. Let me put it this way. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you just went back to basics, like real basics, and just basically brought Doom forward in 2016, it would be pretty uninteresting because you'd just be running around shooting things like in a million other games, right? It just it wouldn't be that cool. What's interesting to me in this in this new Doom is that. It has a similar sort of purity of purpose, a straightforwardness that's reminiscent of the classic Doom. But it's still wrapped in all the stuff we've sort of come to expect, for better or worse, in modern shooters, right? So, like, there's there's progression systems. You choose uh, how you want to upgrade your weapons, and those have ramifications for your play style. And so there's all the stuff that you kind of expect from, like, the RPG elements being woven into a shooter. But none of it detracts from that feeling of leanness and meanness, uh, that a Doom game should have, and that's what really surprises me is that those systems aren't those systems aren't bolted on. Like, you know, upgrading your weapons and choosing how to sort of spec out your character is actually really important because you do have to think about how's this going to Im- impact how I can play. What can I do now with with these tools? But it doesn't burden you down the way those systems sometimes feel, right? Like you you are yeah. still playing a a reflex based shooter where you where you're just sort of doing this ballet of violence through these <laughs> levels uh without really any time to stop and think. And it really just works. Yeah. Yeah, it, the movement itself is is so key and so wonderful in this game. And and again, as somebody who kind of sucks at shooters to be honest, I am having the time of my life basically sort of just shooting to stun enemies and then meleeing them to to death. Yeah. You know, like it is so ridiculously fun to play this as basically a brawler. You can kind of play this game, you know, the the sort of BioShock way of the 1 2, you know, sort of zap with your, you know, whatever electro power and then beat the crap out of them. And you can you can play that way if you sort of spec yourself the right way and spec your weapons the right way in this. And I am loving that so much. You just feel so fast and ridiculous and powerful and you just feel like Doom Guy and it's great and wonderful and I can't even believe I'm saying that. You know, this isn't like typically the aesthetics that I sort of, you know, 
go towards in a game. Like, I'm not usually all that interested in the combat in a lot of games. And here I am being like, this is so great. I can punch this demon in the face and then I can move quickly to this demon. And, you know, I got to watch out for the bigger guy. And then I got to watch out for the guy with the projectiles. It's, it, it makes me feel like I'm a kid playing a video game in sort of the best and purest way. And I, I just love that about this game. Well, and that right there, like what you just said there is like, this is why Doom is actually secretly a, a really smart game, right? Yeah. And that like it has no pretensions about its premise. Like it's 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 perfectly happy being dumb in that sense. Yeah. But the way it is put together forces you to constantly be thinking about um <laughs> you're it's almost like a racing game, right? Where you're actually yeah. thinking a turn yeah. you're thinking a corner ahead. Like you're killing, like you have to, you have to kill a couple monsters in front of you, but then there's another bigger one or something prowling around the combat area. And that one's going to be a little tougher to bring down. So you have to be thinking about like, okay, I'm going to get this guy. Then I need to go here and take this guy out. And then I probably need to run away for a second and switch to this other weapon and then kite this guy around a little bit. And that, 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 that sort of dynamic interacts with the fact that you have to also wade into the combat and and melee people to death. Use those glory kills, at which point <laughs> monsters, uh, the way my girlfriend put it, um, they're, they're kind of like juicy pinatas um, full of <laughs> yeah. treats. Yes. Uh, once you rip a demon in half or once you chainsaw it to pieces, um, health health comes out. Yep. Uh, and I'm not sure, does, does ammo come out of some of them? Some of them, yeah. yeah. It depends on the on the on the enemy but yes on the ones that sort of shoot whatever the big soldier guys like it yeah ammo, ammo comes out of them and the razor beasts the ammo, i love the names yeah. yeah but yeah ammo comes out of them too i think yeah so you have to be thinking about like you know you can't just sit back and i think this is something a lot of a lot of modern shooters have fallen into especially since like aim down sights became yeah. really standardized is that it's actually very easy for players to make shooters boring uh because if the smart play is to sort of sit back and peer at something through a sight and like sort of ping it with headshots, then that's what players are by and large going to do. Um, and doom just doesn't let you do that because there's always an incentive to drive forward into the action to sort of get stuck in uh, and engage in that close quarters fighting. In addition to the fact that like a lot of your weapons just aren't very good from long yeah. range. Like yeah, you have to, sure. like the most effective thing you can do is sort of be near ish to someone and just like unloading your heaviest, <laughs> your, your heaviest ordnance <laughs> at them uh, until they flash stunned. And, and then you, and, and then you, it's, man, it's really rewarding. Like yeah. I'm surprised how much I enjoy when you step up to something and rip its arm off and then cold cock it with its own arm. That's yes. like, I, I, like, I am shocked how much I continually enjoy that animation, uh, whether it's the first time I've seen it or the hundredth. Yeah, it's it's absolutely true. There's something kind of wonderful and gleeful about, uh, it feels like this game is giving you full permission to just be a, a, a dickhead kid basically just just be a total dickhead just kill everything in sight there, there's no dissonance here there's no you know and i think it has to do with just how completely and fully it embraces its own goofiness and its own like yep demons are here they're not aliens it's demons go ahead and kill the demons from hell yep this place this whole entire company uh uses hell energy as a power source go go for it dude you know it embraces all of this and it says you know what Go ahead. Just have fun with this. This is the dumbest shit in the universe. Enjoy it. 
have fun with it. it. It's like full permission to just completely just throw yourself in and and like enjoy that gory gloriousness. Like the very idea of calling it all a glory kill, like it just goes right into to all of this. The way everything is named, the way everything is sort of set up for you. And I and I love that it never wants you to be conservative. It wants you to go just balls to the wall, get into the middle of the fray, like you were saying, and that's the only way to play this game. There's no cover, there's no hiding, there's none of that. Like, you have to move fast, you have to go from target to target, and uh, yeah, it, it's, God, it's great. And it, and it reminds me, something we were, we were talking about a little bit before we even recorded, but it reminds me of how, you know, Wolfenstein, the Wolfenstein reboot came out a few years ago, and nobody expected that to be any good either, because there were, you know, a few kind of middling Wolfenstein games in the last few years that were, you know, kind of fine, but they weren't really, you know, setting themselves apart. And then all of a sudden that Wolfenstein game came out, I believe 2013, and it took a very different approach. It took a more serious approach, certainly. Uh, the, the characters themselves were actually really well done, and there were some really poignant storylines. But in much the same way, it fully kind of embraced what it wanted to be. It, uh, you know, sort of revamped a series that was very, 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 you know, seminal in sort of making the FPS, you know, kind of putting it on the map. And and it just was what it wanted to be, and that really connected with a lot of people. And this completely reminds me of that. Yeah, I um. It's interesting. Like for me, I look at that, and I think the, juxtap- the juxtaposition between these two games is really interesting because I think, yeah. in terms of approach, they're night and day different. Totally. Um, and yet they both end. I think where they end up meeting is one. They, they're they're pleasant surprises. Both of these games yes. <laughs> end up being like hugely pleasant surprises compared to the expectations that people had going in. But then the other element is. Um, they do end up feeling uh, a bit like a throwback in terms of the focus is on really good, really satisfying gunplay. Yeah. Um, wh- what I where where I find the distinctions interesting is like Wolfenstein does go in a pretty serious direction, right? Like Wolfen- Wolfenstein becomes sort of a meditation on um, causes and yeah. belief and what it takes out of people to sort of be martyrs to a cause uh which is uh you know w- w- which is an interesting approach uh given that you know like you're st- in terms of source material you're starting from like literally nothing like it was yeah. just like it was just a corridor shooter uh with that had a nazi theme and from that you you get to something a lot more uh involved and they end up carrying it off sur- surprisingly well. Yeah. Um, where I don't think, where I think they they very much are the, like Wolfenstein is very much a product of its era is that I don't think it really has levels the way shooter games used to, and I think the new Doom does. Yes, it does. Um, like the the original, you know. So like old shooters. Levels were these places you'd sort of explore and then re-explore, right? You'd have to go back over ground you'd already covered. You sort of had to learn the layout of an area before you were really ready to move on. And levels sort of had sort of a logic and and character all their own. Um, 
And that has sort of gone out of fashion. I feel like, like I feel like the number of shooters now, like that I play these days, where I actually have to like know the layout of a single player. Like the last one, I guess, was like D- Dishonored, right? Sure, and that's not even sure. the shooter, but that's yeah. the last. That's one. That's one of the few cases where I'm like, okay, I need to sort of uh, like internalize the logic of a of a geographic space, right? I have to learn a territory. Uh, Wolfenstein never asks you to do that. Fundamentally, Wolfenstein is like, go down the corridor. It might be a big corridor at times, but fundamentally, it's like, murder everything on your way from point A to point B. Doom, I am surprised, A, uh, how much, like, I do sort of have to puzzle out where I'm supposed to go next. But then also, how much satisfaction I take in learning that space and uncovering its secrets. Uh, I think this game has really, really good secrets. And that's not something I usually like. I usually don't care about collectibles. But here, I'm finding it really rewarding to figure out how to get to a thing that I can see but can't immediately get to and sort of like apply what I now know about the level to finding that hidden path. And that's really cool. Yeah, and one of the, you know, as we're talking about levels, one of the the absolute coolest secrets in this game are the traditional Doom levels that you can just go into. And the, the graphics are, you know, sprite-based graphics and these, the, you know, ridiculous 90s-looking things, but with, you know, the modern enemies. And you, you're actually rewarded really handsomely for getting through those levels and finding them and getting through them. And, my God, it's so... I completely agree. The secrets are just wonderful, and they actually feel like things are worth exploring, and there's there's so much... There's so much Metroid Prime DNA in that sort of aspect mm. of this game, and I am obsessed with that game. I loved that game. There was, you know, there's just such rich worlds with such interesting secrets and cool little nooks and crannies to go explore. And this game has that and has that same sort of very gentle and floaty, you know, first person platforming as well. So after I go in and murder all the demons and I have this, this adrenaline rush and I'm really excited and I, I've done well and I can now kind of take my time and look at all those little nooks and crannies and explore. So I, I feel like I'm getting kind of both both of the cool, you know, kinds of game experience in this. Like the very chill exploration game and also the very, very, you know, high, high tension combat as well. And it's like, man, I had no idea Doom was gonna do this so yeah, well. Yeah, no, like from the from the from the first like real level, right? After the after the introductory yeah, yeah. level, that first level where you're in resource ops. Like I was playing it early in the morning, and yeah, I was surprised like how chill the Doom game became. Yeah, <laughs> because I was like, okay, well, I could move on from this area, but I think once I go through that door, this area is going to be pretty much sealed. So I don't know. I looked like there were some crates arranged, and that kind of looked like the start of a jumping puzzle. I wonder. Yeah. I wonder if there's anything that I'll notice if I climb those crates. And a lot of times there is, right? Like a lot of times, like if you see something that looks like. It's a path, but it doesn't seem to lead anywhere. A lot of times if you explore and like puzzle it out and think about it a little bit, it turns out to be something worth looking into. I got the plasma rifle like uh, like in like a, a few like not far into that first level. Um, oh, that's awesome. like well in advance of when you're supposed to get it. But usually I don't find games really reward that kind of like don't necessarily reward that kind of exploration because like in an open world game, you're just kind of covering territory, right? Yeah, you're, yeah. you're just sort of going, uh, you know, back and forth across, across space here. I, I enjoy how much it, it comes down to sort of figure like applying both what you know about the, the environment and applying what you've, you sort of know about level design, right. To, yeah. to, to figure out how to get to something. And it's also making me appreciate 
I kind of think this is a this is a pretty game, which is, is weird. The aesthetic isn't usually <laughs> my thing, but like as I stare at these levels, like it's it's kind of working for me. Yeah, it really feels like the way I sort of described it once to someone is that this is a really, really ridiculous and indulgent version of Alien Isolation in a lot of ways. Like a lot of the textures almost look the same. It's like it's like hyper detailed in the indoor environments and the outdoor environments are really very colorful and very, you know, sort of, again, once you kill all the monsters and all the blood is gone, you, you kind of get that Metroid Prime vibe of like, I'm in another world and I'm able to just explore it. And it's, it's nasty and weird and gruesome, but there's a lot here. There's a lot of texture here. There's a lot of stuff to kind of parse and play with and, and kind of enjoy. It's almost sort of like, I'm going to go running around in the sand of Mars here and, and see what sandcastles there are. It's kind of, it's kind of cool in that way. It's kind of, maybe that's a childish way of thinking of it, but I, I, I'm really digging that as well. So something else that's that's dawned on me as I'm playing this is um I think one reason this is working so well is that lay like id really let go of what used to be considered kind of a key part of the Doom legacy, right? Which was um Doom is scary. Yes. Because it was like I, like if people say it was just like a, like a dumb uh, like a dumb like run and gun shooter back in the day maybe maybe that was how you played it but like dude i was like i was like i was like 7 or something like i was i was little <laughs> yeah, like that game yeah. that game scared the living daylights out of me like there were <laughs> creepy ass sound effects there was like there were like wet meaty chewing demon yeah. sounds coming from behind doors like that game was spooky and it was the first game that had like uh, it was faked, but it was dynamic lighting. Like yeah. if you, when you shot your gun, like corridors lit up with the weapon flash, uh, lights, you could be plunged into darkness at a moment's notice. Um, like there were a lot of places where you were sort of like peering into the gloom, trying to figure out like what was out there trying to kill you. Like that was absolutely a scary game. And I think one of the reasons that Doom 3 ends up being this game that nobody liked, and I, <laughs> like, I actually did. I think Doom 3 is actually fine. I think it's actually better than a, than, than a lot of shooters. Like, sure, sure. If someone said, like, hey, hey Zachary, you want to play Doom 3 or any Call of Duty game past Modern Warfare, I'd be like, Doom 3. Like, heartbeat. Not, not <laughs> totally. even a question. Um, but the problem was that at that time and place, so Doom 3 kind of got this horrible case of system shock envy. Yeah, it does. And <laughs> it's like, it's really convinced that Doom is scary and like the the, the the demons from hell are taking over this facility and that that should be scary, right? And there are things that, that, that are kind of like, there are things that game I think delivered really well, like just everything looked unhealthy and sickly. Like yeah, it, it creeped me out a bit. I mean, oh, I wasn't yeah. like scared to death or anything, but it creeped me out quite a, quite a few times. I I had a few oh. jump scares in that game. For yeah, sure. the lighting was really harsh and bright. Like the shadows were incredibly stark. All the characters had this like mole person look. Yeah. Um, like and, and and the game was gloomy as hell. And yeah, the, you know that's why people made the uh, flashlight modification where you could, you could strap the flashlight to the gun because uh, the game the game did like just kind of lean on monster closets and just pitch black environments yeah. to be extra scary. But nevertheless, I like I did kind of enjoy that that aspect of of that game, and you know I'm a little nostalgic for it. But fundamentally. I think that the the problems that ran into is that at a certain point, Doom gameplay and the objectives of horror become incompatible. Yeah. Like 
Like literally, if like hell isn't that scary <laughs> when you can bust out a BFG and like literally destroy like a demon or like pretty much any kind of demon. Um, and and so like on the one hand, the game was very system shock. It was like. You know, you be listening to these audio logs. Yeah, I think something's logs. going wrong with this facility. Yeah, yeah, something is going you wrong think? with this facility. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. but but then at the end of the day, you were still the Doom Marine, and you were still just like, you know, you were just still like walking around and just like destroying everything in your path. And so I feel like with this one, they basically, I think, mean, kind of reinvented Doom in that. They made a game that I think reflects how a lot of us remember Doom and like the way like uh, the way people like what what sort of play people associate with Doom. Yeah. And they walked away from maybe some of the uh the creepiness factor that the Doom had back in back in the mid 90s that that it has since lost. Yeah, there there's actually a very earnest sense about this game and a, and a very funny sort of playful tone. Some of the flavor text actually sort of um indicates that the demons themselves are afraid of the doom guy that you are. Like oh, they're really? they're afraid of you. Yeah, there there's sort of bits and pieces here and there. I'm actually this is dorky as hell, but as hell, sorry. <laughs> but I'm actually really enjoying the the like ridiculous flavor text. You know, mm-hmm. you can go into the codex and actually read all the things and somebody clearly had a field day writing all this stuff about oh yes this is where the hell energy comes from and here's how we harness it and this and that you know just this very earnest very kind of 90s approach and and while having that completely earnest approach to this like oh yes we're gonna play this very straight there's so many little winks and nods like that and i and i fully fully appreciate that it just feels like whoever wrote uh, the, these entries and this story and all this it just had so much fun doing it. And man, that, that adds that adds a lot for me. Yeah, I don't the, usually the go in and read of, this stuff. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, just the, the little touches of like corporate culture you learn about UAC, <laughs> yeah. like the whole like, if you see someone not having a good time at work, report them to your supervisor. <laughs> Make sure that everyone can get ready for tier two or whatever it is yeah. and like the cult initiation. Um, like the, 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 the messed up, um, like HR practices of this oh, facility yeah. of like, look, if, if someone like needs you to do something, you do that without a second question. Uh, if somebody needs you to participate in a, in an off the books experiment, you do it without hesitation. And it's like, cool. This is like just the, just the, just the ways that like UAC is still basically an energy company. Yep. Just one that is in thrall to hell. Uh, it's just it's just hysterical to me. Yeah, it's it's really fantastic. Yeah, so so God, May so far has been wonderful because of because of these surprises. I didn't expect to like Uncharted so much either, or Overwatch so much. It's kind of all these, um, you know, these kind of really triple A polished games that I never expected to be really kind of earnest and and wonderful and and comfortable in their own skin in a lot of ways has been it's been making my month really nice actually. <laughs> Which is always cool. Yeah, I, I think this is one reason I, I, I will never be someone who joins into the whole like AAA is dead and good riddance to it right, and everything. Exactly. Like, yeah. You know, like I, I like big overproduced games. Like I like them maybe more than I should, but <laughs> nevertheless, like there's something so ridiculously comforting and relaxing about playing a game like Doom. There's no yeah. other way to put it. Is just like it is 
you know, it's the best part of like a, a, a summer blockbuster. Um, it's, it's it's just a delight to to get something like this, and that's that's something that like a, a really well made uh, AAA game can do. And actually, I've been playing Uncharted three. Oh, nice! Uh, lately, to try and get caught up for Uncharted four, so that we can talk about it. Sure. And I'm like playing Uncharted three, and I'm like. Yeah, like I, I I know the formula. I understand like how these games work, and like to an extent, a lot of these types of games aren't necessarily going to surprise you or challenge you in some ways. Um, but but damn, if like you know if if what you're delivering is good and enjoyable and like pleasant, I don't really ask for that much more. Yeah, sometimes it's nice to just eat a really good pizza, like. Really good, like, New York pizza or Chicago stuff, whatever you prefer. Like, just the comfort food, but that's made with, like, a lot of love and a lot of time and a whole lot of just really good ingredients. Sometimes that is what you need and what you want, and it's great to have that, and it's great that those experiences can really deliver. Uh, so, with that, I think it's time for us to handle our weekend correspondence, but first, a word from our sponsor. Oh man, Danielle, today's a big day for me. As of today, I am just 12 more payments away from getting my car paid off. Just another three grand and that baby is all mine. That sounds like a lot of money. And besides, you live in Boston and work from home. What do you need a car for? You know, I really like having a car when I go to the store or when I pick something up from my apartment. Rob, for trips like that, it is so much easier to use Zipcar. It's like all the best parts of owning a car in the city and none of the bullshit. You know what you don't care about when you use Zipcar? Street cleaning, parking permits, car payments. You mean I could have a car but not have to worry about moving it on the fourth Tuesday of every <laughs> month except on months where there's a national holiday? And all you have to do is join up at joinzipcar.com weekend and you get $25 of free driving credit. Well, as soon as I get the car paid off, I guess I might just sell it and go carless for a while. And see see how that treats me. Just go to joinzipcar.com slash weekend and you get $25 of free driving credit. Alrighty, so our first letter comes in from John Renish or Renish. John says, Hello, weekenders. Often when posting game opinions on the internet, they are viewed as invalid because the game was played wrong, not long enough, or did do additional reading on an external lore wiki, you know, didn't do enough reading. Not sure if there's a term for this officially, but I've been using fansplaining to describe this situation. As professional opinion havers, what is your experience with this phenomena? Does it go by any other name? I think fansplaining is a pretty great, uh, pretty great term for it's this, a, for it's sure. It's a pretty great word. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty excellent. Uh, you know, it reminds me of some tampon ads that maybe we've done <laughs> at times. Uh, but yeah, I, I encounter this a lot, especially with something like, you know, of course, we've been talking about Dark Souls. Um, you know, you're playing it wrong. You're not doing enough. You're not reading enough of the lore, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It happens. It happens a lot with, um, any kind of niche genre that has, you know, massive, massive amounts of information sort of associated with it, you know, thinking maybe something like a Final Fantasy, something like that. Yeah, you get, you run into a lot of this. You run into a lot of people who feel very angry uh, that you don't love something as much as they do. And it's sort of internalized as part of their identity in some ways. Uh, you know, I'm a fan of this thing, so any rational person will be a fan of this thing. 
Uh, there's there's a whole lot of that on the internet. Um, but sometimes people have wrong opinions. No, yep, that's no, true too. <laughs> I mean, I like I understand. Like, there, it's it's a weird line. It's a difficult line to walk. Like, because on the one hand, there's nothing more frustrating than you had an experience or you you yeah. You, so you had an experience with something and you you took away a certain feeling about it, and someone comes along and goes, um, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you why that thing you're feeling is the wrong thing, and you should actually feel like X. And that is inordinately frustrating. But at the same time, sometimes you'll be seeing someone like just really unloading on a game or or something, and it's like, oh man, I like this. Like you, like maybe their frame of reference was they came into it with like unfair expectations. Or they missed really key things, or they they're just like kind of, or, or you get the sense they they just don't comprehend like what the <laughs> pleasure is in the experience. And I'm sure like this, a lot of people who listen to us talk talk about Dark Souls were absolutely being like, oh god, you guys you guys missed the point. Yeah. That is, like you're, you're missing it. You're you, it's it's going. It's you're letting it go by you. And I totally understand the the frustration uh, about that. And so it's 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 a weird thing, right? Like there's there is this line between like interesting conversation and uh, no. Here here's what I think it is. Um, there's there's conversation. And there's debate. Yes. And a lot of people approach like conversations around games. Actually, conversations on the internet. Yes. Like they are arguments to be won. <laughs> and. Really, you can't argue with someone's feelings. Like, yeah. like you can you can have a conversation about them and why they might not match your own, but like the moment someone like shows up and starts being like, "Well, let me pre- present evidence as to why you just why your feelings why are wrong. invalid." Yes. Yeah, why you're wrong. Yeah. Uh, then, then my God, it's just it's it's the most infuriating thing. Yeah, it's really, it's one of those things where I really wish in school, in every, every level of school, we had uh, lessons about how to, how to be a good human being and how to sort of, uh, (laughs) relate to other people. And one of them being people's feelings are always valid, even if you think the reason behind it is really stupid. Yeah. Like you can think the reason is stupid. You're allowed to think that. But you are never allowed to say somebody's feelings aren't real. That's now, kind of like the big no-no that I wish I wish kindergarten. Feelings, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just saying. Like, so, now on the other hand, someone's feelings can make them an asshole. Of course. Like, like, yes. so, like you're not going to change that person's feelings. But if somebody is constantly like reacting like aggressively or something, you know what I mean? Like, or, yeah. or taking like you know personal offense to like you know, things that are like innocuous or like basically like it's absolutely fair to reach a point where it's like, I don't want to deal with this. Your feelings make you a dick. And yeah. that is absolutely also a thing that can happen both ways. Both the, sides of this the way you true. act on them at least. Yeah. But like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. But in those cases, it's so good to just walk away. Yeah. It's so good. Just be like, I'm but, done. <laughs> yeah. But, but I think, it, I think it gets a little worse when it comes to fandom. Cause like, there's the thing, like, you love this thing and you want people to understand why the thing is good yeah. and they're missing it. Yeah. And if you just told them how the thing is good, maybe they will see. <laughs> uh, but, there, you know, that's a, it's a short trip from there to trying to talk someone into a feeling. I feel like a lot of this is so much a product of sort of marketing and the way that all all nerd things kind of are are present in the world now like 
all kinds of sort of nerdy media from comic books to sci-fi to games to to everything. It, it, they are sort of marketed as sort of uh, there's a term for this and I and I don't know what the marketing term is, but sort of like lifestyle, like it, like it's mm-hmm. part of your lifestyle, part of your identity. I know there's there's a word for this and I apologize for blanking on it. Well, lifestyle marketing is totally a thing. Well, lifestyle marketing but also sort of like the this the idea of fan as evangelist as, yeah. as sort of like yeah. the fan is the one who is making half of the marketing happen because they are evangelizing it to others. Again, I'm sure there's a word for it, but it's Well, I mean you know. like that, I mean that's just geek <laughs> culture though. The entire yeah. thing's a con job, right? Like yes. oh man, geeks are so weird you were into star wars throughout the like 80s and 90s one of the biggest franchises in history what a weird unique flower you must exactly be. exactly like oh the nerd who's reading their comic books like two billion other people you know it completely completely all kind of a, a big ridiculous thing but it is so much of how these products are are sold now it's a hundred percent a part of how these products well, are sold now. so much of that is like creating this feeling of illicitness might be the wrong word, but um, that like, this is specialist almost. Or, yeah. Like, specialist or niche knowledge yeah. or something like that. You have been like sort of initiated into the secrets of this thing. Yes. And if people don't get it, then it's your job to educate them. Cause they just, you know, they don't, they don't have the secret yet. And I am not immune to this by any means. I want to, I want to nope. be perfectly clear. You talk to me about Farscape, and I will fangirl the fuck out on you. And and like, yeah, it it like I've heard people talk about Farscape and how goofy and stupid it is. And I and I actually I don't go out and I don't argue with them, but I do get I understand the feeling, the feeling I, I of like them. I truly love this thing. I think it's really wonderful. I think it has flaws, but I still think it's really wonderful. And I will I will you know go to bat for it. it that kind of feeling, like I get it there are things that are special to you you have strong feelings about them and those feelings are okay to have. well farscape is <laughs> such a good example too because it's the yeah. thing like that it, it, it sort of short circuits my good judgment where like <laughs> wait you're comparing to like babylon 5 or like deep space 9 are you in your mind like no no it's the farscape is different like and on then, its on its face it looks so goofy the muppets in space thing the whole yeah. you know just how goofy it is but it's like, actually this really clever like romantic yeah. deconstruction of the sci-fi genre yes. and let me tell you why the thing you thought this show <laughs> was you're wrong actually it was it meant to be that dumb and that's why it's smart totally. and that's why you're wrong and i've had this conversation <laughs> many a time so yeah. really i'm not better i'm like like <laughs> i don't do it about video games as much but like yeah like like shit like farscape i'm like oh no you did not <laughs> You did not just just call Farscape dumb. We are gonna have exactly. words. Let me tell you about the Wiley Coyote tribute episode oh, in in Farscape and Season explain to you why it's the greatest thing ever. Oh, it is. It truly is. So there we are. We're both raging hypocrites. Basically. And and our feelings might make us dicks. <laughs> yep. There's the definitive answer. All right. Uh, our next email is from Liam Lambert in york in the uk hey weekenders love the show as always and i really enjoyed your discussion about blitzball last week though you're absolutely right that blitzball's introduction in final fantasy 10 pretty much renders it dead on arrival i feel like i need to be the lone defender of gaming's most hated fictional sport (laughs) as someone who isn't that interested in sports but tends to enjoy the idea of managing teams in games blitzball became an integral part of final fantasy 10 for me 
Though it is initially presented as a near-unwinnable quest early on in the game, Blitzball eventually becomes more Gwent-like in The Witcher 3, (laughs) a persistent pastime that fleshes out the game's world. Though it doesn't come close to matching Gwent in terms of game design, the ability to buy, sell, and manage players really drew me into Final Fantasy X, and I probably ended up playing and managing my Blitzball team for about half my overall game time, beating the league a good four or five times. (laughs) Blitzball is pretty stupid, but I loved how it made Spira feel like an occupied fictional world where people use sports to escape the fact that a giant whale is about to swallow them up. Can you guys think of any in-game sports, card games, or mini-games that you've enjoyed more than or just as much as the game itself? (laughs) Oh, and a PS here. Rob is right. Tidus is a terrible Blitzball player until he completes a mini-game wherein he overcomes severe childhood trauma to learn the best trick shot in the game. That is a thing that happens in Final Fantasy X. (laughs) Oh, man. Um... Weirdly, the first thing I thought about for this was a track and field minigame in Mischief Makers, which is a an N64 platformer, incredibly underrated. It's a treasure game. Remember Treasure and how good their games were? Um, that entirely had nothing to do with, with this, with, with the rest of the game, where you kind of, you always had to kind of shake and mix up little, uh, little balls in the game and sort of mix and match abilities. And it was just this really wonderful retro style kind of game in the nineties, uh, retro for the eighties. And there was, yeah, there was just this track and field, like track and field day where, you know, the, the main character Marina had to be a track star. And I just, this is going to be the nerdiest thing you've ever heard, but I just really liked it because I ran track and I thought it was really cool to have a track and field mini game in my anime ass uh, N64 platformer. <laughs> and sometimes things are that ridiculous for me that like, oh, running was presented in a cool way as a cool thing for once. I love it. <laughs> I, uh, man, see, I usually hate games within games. Yeah. Um, Gwent yeah. is actually a real huge exception for me. Because, like, I don't know why I got in, so into Gwent, but I play the living daylights out of Gwent <laughs> uh, in The Witcher 3. And I, I totally get what Liam is saying here about one of these done well really can flesh out a world. Like, I love that, like, The Witcher 3 in the middle of all hell breaking loose, people are always like, hey, you got, you wanna play, you got time for a game of Gwent? <laughs> you, you, hey, you Gwent? Yeah, let's do this right now. <laughs> you Gwent? Yeah. Yeah, like... <laughs> Like, there's the scene, like, you are literally, like, five minutes from, like, launching this ambush against a, uh, like, convoy of, of uh, like, R- R- Redanian soldiers or something. Oh, yeah. And, um, like, your character is standing around, like, well, I guess we got about an hour to kill. <laughs> and immediately into a Gwent game. Uh, so I totally enjoy that. But that's a, that's a huge exception, like. Man, I didn't even get that far into Blitzball. Uh, I, I totally walked away from it. I never raced Jacobos. Uh, I, I I just don't truck with, with games within games, except until fairly recently, I guess, with this one weird exception. Uh, but it's, it's totally an interesting idea. It's just usually I find these things are so... Mm, hang on. Uh, remember the Game Pig in System Shock 2? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you could play like Rogue... And um, uh, like Spy Hunter, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, on yeah. on Game Pig, so you'd be like, you'd find like a safe place on board the Vinbron in System Shock Two. And actually, that's how I like. 
that's actually the experience I had playing. Like, I never played Rogue. I never played any roguelikes. Sure. Um, but playing those games in System Shock 2 became kind of a weird, weird obsession of mine. Yeah, I, now that we're kind of talking about it and, and you saying System Shock 2, I actually sort of love the pipe minigame in the first Bioshock. Mm. The pipe dreams kind of minigame to, uh, yeah. to hack the system. It's it's not really like a fully fleshed game within a game by any means, but it it kind of scratched that puzzle itch for me in a way that I, I totally hacked like every single machine <laughs> in that game on one of my playthroughs. So yeah, there there are sometimes there are things that like if it actually adds to kind of the theme of the story and actually kind of pulls you further in, then it's kind of a rad thing. It's just so often that it's kind of tacked on just to be like, there's a game within the game. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Our next letter comes in from Michael Coe. Michael writes, Hey, Weekenders. About a month ago, Blizzard made a, a large portion of the World of Warcraft community extremely angry when they threatened to file suit against a community group, Nostalrius, uh, who were hosting a wildly popular but unsanctioned private WoW server and were forced to shut down as a result. The server was running a version of the game without any expansion content, a so-called vanilla experience. Blizzard has since agreed to meet with the Nostalrius team following a 250,000 signature petition asking Blizzard to consider hosting legacy servers, servers running a previous version of the game, or at least give their blessing to fan-hosted legacy servers. The reason this became such a big deal in the community is that many long-term players feel that the current version of the game is not the same game they fell in love with in 2004 or 2005. Many players also do not agree with the direction it's heading in, as evidenced by the plummeting subscriber numbers since the game's peak. In several places, the original game world has been completely erased and replaced with new, streamlined content designed to funnel players into its newest expansion as fast as possible, a change not everyone agrees with. For a long time, Blizzard maintained that they will not stop supporting, or they will not support, providing previous versions of the game. Their stance was that while players may think it's what they want, it's simply the nostalgia talking, and they would not be able to go without the newer features and quality of life improvements introduced in newer expansions. Obviously, this Blizzard knows best attitude rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. From a legal <clears throat> from a legal perspective, the situation seems pretty straightforward. Blizzard has every right to defend their IP, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the legitimacy of Blizzard's defense. Should players be able to access and play previous versions of a game, even though those previous versions are inferior? If a player purchases a game, are they entitled to experience that game as is? Or are developers justified in being able to control what version players are allowed to play, even if it's to the detriment of the experience? That is a really, really interesting uh, kind of opinion there, and a really, really interesting weird thing that sort of frames the whole games as a service versus games as a, you know, product or singular kind of experience. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I don't know that much, honestly, about game preservation, but I, I get the sense that this is sort of, this must be a raging debate for uh, game preservation and sort of those issues. Because, you know, WoW today is not the same game it, by any means as WoW before. And many games are not the same game today after however many patches or expansions or so on and so forth. Very, I, I'm not a WoW player, so I don't feel any particular... Uh, feelings about this news, but it, oh God, that seems like it's it's an issue, not just in WoW, but an issue in all of sort of game preservation. Yeah, I think as far as WoW goes, um, I, I would be wary of drawing a line between changes made to World of Warcraft since uh, its, its peak and declining subscription numbers. Like, I think 
that decline probably still has more to do with the fact that it's an old game. People move on. Like, people mm. get bored of the game. Um, but I totally get, like, why there's so much interest in a legacy server. And, like, I mean, my God, I, I, would, I want one. Yeah. Uh, because I can't go back to the experience I had. Like, and almost like most other games I can, right? Most other games I can fire them up and I can sort of be taken back in time uh, to when I first encountered this game. I'll see the same things. I'll play through some of the same moments. World of Warcraft, all that's gone. Yeah. Like the, st- the core starting locations have, have all been like massively revised and the, the game doesn't even work the same way. It doesn't have the same pacing. It doesn't feel remotely like it did back when the game was new. And... Probably a lot of the decisions that Blizzard has made were ultimately for the best, uh, the greater good, like streamlining and stuff like that. But what I wouldn't give to go back to that slower, clunkier, max level 60, I think, (laughs) of Vanilla WoW, where you would spend probably a full week of your life doing quests in the Barrens. um, And getting ganked but you know endlessly in 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 some some brutal locations that were had unbalanced spawns and there there were just so many things about that game that I remember really vividly and really fondly and I've always sort of felt a little sense of like loss that well the game moved on and you can't get back to that experience that that existed uh so I mean I think absolutely Stuff like this should exist. Um, yeah. I think there actually is an EverQuest server. I think Phil Kohler was on on Twitter talking about this a, a few weeks ago. There is an EverQuest server, I think, that is running in real time uh, and rolling out the expansions and updates as they rolled out for the original EverQuest. Oh wow! Uh, so you'll have con- you'll have a content expansion hit, and the game expands again. But un- like until until the the, until it crosses the dateline when that, that expansion came out, like you're you're playing whatever version existed in EverQuest like 15 years ago. That's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, that's not, that sounds fantastic. Um, something that like Paradox are, are deserve some props for and are very good at is um, so Paradox games expand massively and change constantly. Uh, they're like to the point where I'm not I'm not always comfortable with it. Like Europa Universalis Four is one of my favorite strategy games of all time. Uh, but somewhere along the line in the last year or so, it started to feel a little bit like a ship of Theseus, right? <laughs> Where like it was still a U4, but with all the expansions and, and mechanical tweaks they'd made to it, it no longer felt quite like the game that I really, really liked when it came out. But with Paradox, you can actually go into like the um the the uh like betas tab or something on Steam, and you can basically pull a drop down and roll back patches. And go to a previous edition of the game and play that version of the game. And that is hugely helpful. Like that's, that's awesome. Cause then you can, you can always sort of like freeze time and and go back to uh, whatever your golden age of a game was. And I think something like that absolutely should exist. And like, yeah, I'm uh, like, I'm basically with Michael here. Like, yeah, I get why Blizzard, like I, I get that intellectual property enforcement is kind of this, the way it is structured kind of demands overwhelming response. Um, I, but 
this is a case where like I would love exceptions to be made because yeah. this is just you know that the, the vanilla wow is like a seminal moment in in games history, right? Like it is an important moment. That original game is kind of this foundation that that uh, like it, it marks this, this this huge shift from like MMOs that came before and games and MMOs that came after. Um, and to not be able to go back and and sort of like look at that and experience it really sucks. Yeah. So, I guess it'd be a bit like saying. Well, what do you need old Mario games for? We've given you Mario Maker or right. something. Right, <laughs> like, yeah. Which is, yeah, I, yeah. I agree. I, again, I'm not an MMO player, but I completely can see those points and, and agree with it. And, and it's always kind of nice when a, a big company respects its fans and sees when there's, you know, a case to be made for like, hey, there's make some leeway here. These are the people who love your game and will buy yeah. probably everything and, you know. Uh, yeah. Treat them nicely. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what Blizzard does. Yeah. Uh, our next email comes from Matt. Matt writes, I've been thinking a lot lately about longstanding gaming franchises and what keeps them fresh for so long. The older I get, the stranger it feels that certain characters have followed me from childhood while others are long forgotten memories. This concept popped into my head because of the release of the new Ratchet & Clank game, which is marketing itself as something of a reimagining of the first game. I couldn't help but admire Insomniac's strategy here. By rebooting this character, they get to wipe away a narrative that was becoming a bit of a convoluted mess. I lost track once they introduced, once they introduced time travel into the mix. <laughs> and more importantly, it opens this franchise up to a new generation. This brings me to my question. When is it time for a franchise to make sequels to a successful game? And when is it time to start fresh? Certainly time is a factor, as the success of the previous game, uh, to Tomb Raider, comes to mind. Uh, but I can't help but wonder if sequels in general are a bad idea for video games. If I want to jump into a series like The Witcher or something like Fallout, I would need to cross platforms and dedicate weeks of my life to something like that. With Kingdom Hearts 3 coming out, I can't help but ask myself the question, who is this game for? Those of us who loved the original game 12 years ago? How is anyone new supposed to penetrate the wall of narrative that, that surrounds that franchise? Of course, sequels offer video games the opportunity to build a wider, more expansive narrative that can follow a person throughout their life, but does each game need to be so dependent on the last? Does this not exclude consumers who are just now getting into video games? What are some games that you feel did an excellent job of bringing newcomers into an already established franchise? Are reboots the best option for doing that, or is there a better way? Uh, since we're talking about Doom, uh, <laughs> I think this is definitely the best place for anybody to play Doom, is this sort of new game. I agree with uh, with Matt in saying that the Tomb Raider reboot did a great job with that. And then, you know, this the more recent game was a fantastic game that didn't necessarily have a great story, but uh, and didn't really move the story forward all that far, but it was an awesome game. I also kind of think that, you know, in terms of these giant franchises story isn't necessarily what I, you know, I enjoy story in games. It's one of the things I enjoy the most, but I think I probably enjoy the world building more than the sort of straight up narrative. Um, and I've been able to enjoy games kind of just jumping in. I didn't play The Witcher 1 or 2, and I adored 3 and was one of my favorite games last year, and I cannot wait for the new expansion that's coming out soon. And I don't feel like you know, I kind of was able to, you know, go on Wikipedia and go on wherever else and kind of fill in details for myself as I got really into the franchise. And, you know, just sort of as a general note, 
more things are taking the approach of serialized storytelling now, even even yeah. movies. I mean, look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, if you didn't watch Captain America 1 and 2, you could still watch the third movie and kind of figure out what was going on. You can always kind of fill yourself in. And I don't think you completely lost, you know... I, I don't think you would be completely lost going into that movie. You would you would still get the point of, here is the big discussion we're having, and here are the big fights with all the characters. Um, I just feel like, you know, kind of in 2016, where we have the internet, we have 20 people recapping everything for you and having, you know, sort of 15-minute YouTube video can catch you up on all the important story details of something. It's not impossible to kind of jump in wherever you need to jump in. And if a game is built on, you know, kind of great gameplay and, and built on characters that you care about, but they're kind of iconic and they're kind of, you know, more often than not archetypes, it doesn't bother me that much uh, to kind of go into a sequel. Yeah, things can be kind of a mess narratively, um, like you say, with Ratchet and Clank, for sure. But like you said, Matt, uh, rebooting at that point made a lot of sense to just kind of start it from the beginning again. Yeah, I um, I think the answer is like sequels are are are, are bad in general, um, <laughs> yeah. except that they're really good as a business practice. Sure. Um, like you know, once you've established a, a game's name and people know what to expect from it, and it's and you know, thank God it's a hit or something. Uh, you're not gonna you're not gonna undo all that good work. You're gonna uh, try to milk it, and the easiest way to do that is sort of have one game build on the next. And I think yeah, a lot of games do try and. Um, a lot of games do try and make it so that they are independent of their predecessors, right? So, like, The Witcher 2 went out of its way to basically um, hide the fact there, there was even a Witcher 1. Like, in terms of the narrative in The Witcher 2, like, there is barely a reference to the, the previous game. Sure. Like, so that was pretty clever. Witcher 3, I think, is actually a little more freighted with its own history. Uh, for me, that wasn't a bad thing, but I, I do wonder how people coming into it new reacted. Um, but I, I do feel like even when it's done well, like at a certain point, trying to make something accessible uh, to people who aren't familiar with the previous works, I think, begins to run afoul of good and meaningful storytelling. I think the Marvel movies are both an example for good and ill here. Like, yeah, on the one hand, yeah. they do a good job of making it so that you don't need to um, to, to necessarily have seen all the movies or, or know who every character is. On the other hand, it also ends up meaning that a lot of these characters don't really evolve or change all that sure. much, or not in interesting ways. Like, they're kind of... Sometimes they're just kind of there, right? Like... <laughs> You know, like like in in new in in the new movie, like Ant Man shows up, right? And yeah. it's kind of like, well, hey, you recognize this guy from from the other movie? Um, is is he really is he really critical? Does he have any real reason to be there? Probably not, yeah. arguably. Uh, but the, the so the issue then becomes like you, you kind of end up having to make it so accessible that you're not allowed to develop characters as much because it's a lot easier to sort of have characters sort of become like stock characters, right? They become like a stock version of who they are and what this character is all about. Uh, and then they can't evolve that much, yeah. uh, which is why I think so many franchises get really dull because eventually it just becomes like, well, here's all your favorite characters from before being the same people and not changing all that much. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
and I think like you know with The Witcher three, like what did they have to do? Uh, they had to introduce two massive new characters uh, who completely changed Geralt's relationship to the world. Uh, who they barely, they, you know, they mostly hadn't told you about in the previous two games, but suddenly it's like, oh yeah, Geralt totally had a troubled marriage and a daughter. Yep. So you know that, that was kind of a that was kind of a, like so they didn't really set that up. That's not building on it. Uh, they just had to sort of say like, hey, in the new game, here are the new stakes, and uh, this is the, you know that that's certainly a way of handling it. But in general, I think sequels are probably the enemy of uh, of of storytelling in you know over the long haul. Uh, and I'm not I'm not even sure that. Bioware's like Mass Effect games would would necessarily disprove it. Uh, although we'll see what will happens with Andromeda. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in general, like I like conclusions. I like things that have like satisfying endings. And in the world of sequels, you just don't get that. Yeah, I think that's more than fair. I suppose I, I suppose I still have lowered expectations. Uh, still, uh, you know, something compared to like I compare even even games that I think are very well written to something like The Americans, and I'm and I'm still going to always grade on a curve oh, uh, in terms of video games at this point. Yeah. And that does not mean I don't think that they can no. certainly, absolutely, and there are games that I think are exceptionally well written. Um, but what is I'm The st- Americans of video games? Oh God, What's... I can I can only yeah, <laughs> I can but... only imagine. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I, I think what you're saying is more than fair. And, and games tend to be built more on gameplay and sort of those big, big ideas of characters and stock stereotype characters than they are on sort of really, really personal, really, um, at least talking about AAA games, uh, you know, sort of the big yeah. games, franchises as they are. And, and that's a weakness of the storytelling for sure. Awesome. So with that, I think it's time for us to go into our weekend projects after this message from our sponsor. So, Rob, is there anything you've been watching, reading, playing, anything that's setting your world right on fire? Maybe. Yeah. But you should start because I'm not actually sure. Oh, okay. I didn't. I did not, I did not prepare for the show and tell. No, it's okay. Uh, so, so you'll need to give me a second. It's totally cool. So, I have been playing a game that I think is really awesome. Um, well, of course, I've been watching The Americans, but I feel like as soon as I catch up, that's when we'll talk about The Americans again, maybe. Yeah. I'm almost caught up. I have been marathoning. I've been mainlining like three episodes a night. So That it's... doesn't seem like the... Boy, <sighs> not to... Oh, boy. Uh, let me fansplain something to you, Danielle. <laughs> Please do. No, I just, I just emotionally, I, I can't... I couldn't do that. And also, I do feel like some of those episodes, man, need room to breathe. Like, there's, are you, have you gotten to the most recent season yet? Yeah, I'm in season four now. Has there been an entire, like, male robot episode? Yes. Yeah. That <laughs> one, like, man, after that one, I'm not, I, I couldn't watch that show for like a week. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't stop. I can't stop. It's in my blood now. I just cannot stop. It's so good. Um, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I uh, I feel like we'll talk about that once we're caught up, and then we can yeah. actually fully spend some time on the Americans. Um, but I have been playing a game that I would love to recommend called Soft Body. It's uh it's from Zeke Virant, uh, independent developer, and it is sort of a puzzle game that is also kind of a bullet hell shooter. Uh, but it is meditative as opposed to being. It, it's sort of a bullet hell shooter in some ways. Uh, that is a very, very chill, minimalist kind of aesthetic. Uh, but don't turn off the show now if, if, that, if that bothers you. Um, 
you're basically playing as a, it, it, there's a twin stick setup in, I believe it, everything is sort of very simple shapes, uh, but the, the, in the fiction of the world or whatever, you're a little ghost. It doesn't really go beyond that. It's not really a game about storytelling, uh, but you need to sort of avoid all the bullets and all the projectiles on any given screen, uh, which is arranged in a particular way. You need to color the screen uh, from from one color to the other with your left stick character, and you need to avoid projectiles and also make a ball go into a goal with the other character, with the other stick. So you're sort of always paying attention to what's going on on sort of with your left hand and what's going on with your right hand. And often it'll flip the screen so that your left hand has to focus on what's going on in the right part of the screen and vice oh, versa. Yeah. And it's very confusing and would annoy me if it weren't so relaxed and have, has such a, you know, nice relaxing music, these, these very pretty sort of colorful visuals. Uh, and the, of course, this sort of meat boy thing where it's really hard, but you're always loading right back in. You know, exactly kind of what you did wrong if you screwed up and you go right back in. It's not, you know, a Dark Souls situation where there's, you know, uh, 90 seconds to two minutes of sort of loading and getting back in and, and sort of going back to the area where you were. Um, so I'm really, really enjoying this. I, I hope I described it adequately. There's kind of a lot going on. It's not really sort of... Uh, it doesn't belong entirely in one genre or anything, but uh, really, really fun. Um, and completely the opposite of, of sort of the other stuff I'm playing. You know, I'm playing Uncharted, I'm playing Doom. Uh, I had been playing a lot of Overwatch. These sort of super polished kind of AAA experiences. And this is nice to, to spend some time with something that is like very, very minimal. You know, it's very easy on the eyes. I, I You know, I'm playing as sort of like a, a yellow or a purple kind of little ghosty object. And everything else is like a very simple shape. Uh, but it's... It's very soothing, very fun. It's, it's sort of scratching the puzzle itch for me as well. So I figured out what I am, uh, what I'm into these days. Yeah. Um. So by the time this uh, this show goes live, I'll we'll be I'll be allowed to talk about it. Uh, nice. I've been playing Warhammer. Uh, I've been playing Total War Warhammer. Oh. Uh, also known as Total Warhammer. Nice. Uh, <laughs> and. Boy, I am so like I have to write a review like in the next day or so, and I am so on the fence because on the one hand, like I have really been enjoying my time with this game, but I am now at a point where I'm starting to feel like I'm seeing a lot of cracks in the facade, ah. and I need to sort of get my fingers in there and start like feeling around like what's actually what's actually happening under there. Uh, because on the one hand, they made a lot of decisions that I think were pretty smart. They they stripped down the Total War format um, and really took a lot of stuff out of the strategic layer in favor of making each race play really differently. So the core strategy game is pretty simple, but then each race has special rules that change its relationship to the strategy level. Uh, which makes it feel more thematic, right? Like yeah. dwarves should just feel like something completely different from orcs or humans. It should be a bigger difference than say like the Romans and the Carthaginians, you know, mm -hmm. like you should, you should have that feeling of like uh, specificity because these are like different races and they, they occupy different roles within this fantasy world. Uh, the other thing is because of this, like, a lot of the focus now becomes the battles, which is 
important for a Total War game because a lot of these games sort of made it so that you would eventually hit a point where you just sort of auto-resolved a lot of the battles, Which at which point, why are you playing Total War? Um, so here, like the battles are very front and center, and they look awesome, and they feel really good like i've had i've had some like amazing like pitched like dwarf versus orc battles that were like <laughs> as good as like just wildly entertaining like on the level of the um you know the the moria battle in in lord oh, of the nice. rings just yeah. some amazing like you know epic uh fantasy stuff but then in the last couple days like i've started noticing things that make me feel like there's a lot of like Potemkin elements to this game, like okay. a lot of things that appear to work but don't really. And the games, like, basically, they've really sort of hobbled you at the start so that the game is hard because now, like, you just start from, like, every race basically starts with a lousy starting position and AI factions get super powerful. Um, the economy is like kind of broken like they stripped it down to a point where like at this point i don't think the economy actually works like i i I, like i i've invested a lot of money in trying to build up like an economy to support more armies and the game just doesn't seem to let you do that like the, the amount of money being brought in by my cities is like trivial like can't pay for a damn thing and at a certain point it's like wow like the reason this game is hard and it all comes down to these battles is because it kind of feels like this game doesn't really want me to ever control more than like one or two armies. Uh, and every time I start to get into a position where I should be like get, enjoying like a virtuous cycle and like getting more powerful and like a little more like success should be self-sustaining, the systems that would support that just don't exist or they've been like sort of intentionally crippled. Huh. And... It's really so. I'm I'm really like, I'm really on on the fence about this, right? Because on the one hand, my feelings are this game is awesome. Like <laughs> I'm having a great time each time I'm playing it. But then there's this part of me that's like, yeah, but after 16 hours, like you're starting to see these problems. Like how are you going to feel in another 16? Yeah. How are you going to feel in like 20? The chick yeah. parabola might be. Happening yeah. 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 So yeah. it's like this is and this is the frustrating thing. Like. I got to file a review on this pretty quickly. Like reviews in progress don't traffic for shit. Yeah, right. Um, and so it's like I have to render some kind of like provisional verdict. Uh, but at the same time, like I have huge misgivings because like I think some of the reasons the game works for me now might also be reasons why I'm not actually sure it's a great strategy game. Sure. So that's that's so that's my endorsement. So <laughs> I guess here's my endorsement. Um, it's cool. Like, I, like, if Total Warhammer sounded like a thing that would be up your alley, I'm pretty sure this is still up your alley, right? I just think that the, the debate I'm having right now is, is it a successful strategy game or is it just successful as a fun, like, stripped down Total War take on Warhammer? That's, that's kind of the debate, but I'm having a great time playing it. Um, you know, anytime you've got, like, you know, 400 hand-picked dwarves slaughtering, like, 2,000, you know, orcs on a battlefield <laughs> at the gates of, like, you know, Khazad Doom or whatever the hell their, 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 their faction headquarters is. That, that's a pretty good day. That's a lot of fun. So, 
that's that's where I've ended up with that. That is a good day. All right, cool. So seems like we have many check-ins for future weekend yeah. projects, <laughs> for sure. Awesome. Uh, so with that, I think it's time for us to head out and enjoy our weekends. This episode of Idle Weekend was produced by Chris Remo and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. If you are enjoying the show, if you're having fun listening to us, please do rate us on iTunes and please do tell friends, frenemies, pets, family, whoever you think might enjoy it. It helps us out so much and it means the universe to us. Uh, You can learn more about the show at idleweekend.net and send us questions for our weekend correspondence at questions at idleweekend.net. To keep up with the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at idleweekend. For Rob Zachney, this is Danielle Riendo, wishing you the finest of idle weekends. Cool, let me just make a note of the time. Cool, cool.